Hello and welcome to Piecing the Parsha Together. And this week, I hope very much that we were able to shed some light on some of the more cryptic details of this week's Parsha. First, general issue. Perhaps you could say shrouds the Parsha in a bit of mystery is the culmination of the lives of Avraham and Sarah, one at the beginning of the Parsha and one at the end of the Parsha. Sarah, when she dies, Rashi makes a comment that all of her years were equally good. It was the fact that it says, Shnei Chaye Sarah at the end of the first Pasa, Kulan Shavin Tova. But if we look at Sarah's life, she had many years of childlessness, some wandering. She was kidnapped by Paro, kidnapped by Avimelech. It is the Medrashic tradition that she dies because she hears of the Akeda. Were all of her years truly Latova? Similarly, with Avraham, and the beginning of the Perak Chavdalid, after the completion of the purchase, the Marasmach Pela, it says. Avraham was advanced in his days. And it says, Hashem has Avraham Hashem had blessed him with everything. Hashem had promised Avraham many times that he would have the land of Eretz Yisrael. But we see in the beginning of the Parsha, we'll come back to that a little bit more in a minute, he has to spend an exorbitant sum of money to find a spot to bury his wife. And the idea of the promises of having a nation, Yitzchak is 37 years old, and he is unmarried. And Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, blessed memory in his studies in spirituality, says that if you look at what Avraham does at the end of the Parsha, after eulogizing Sarah and crying over her, it says that he rose by Yaakam Avraham, male Meso, Bnei Meso. And he then goes to be involved with purchasing Ras Machpelah, which is a way for Abraham to finally, at long last, get a hold on Eretz Yisrael. And then, lengthy uh, peric of finding a wife for Yitzchak to create the Jewish people, the nation of Bnei Yisrael. So, perhaps the final lesson, one of the final lessons you can take from the lives of Abraham and Sarah is that the journey itself could be part of the reward it's true they didn't have it all by the end but they recognized that in the future it would be there if you look at the back and forth that avraham has with the b'nei Ches, you see in the parsha itself avraham carrying out this task, not just globally so. And if we look at the words of the Malbim, spanning, the Malbim has Shilas, it says Gimel to Yud Gimel. Maybe there's a comment after that. And if you look at the Malbim, the Malbim will explain a lot of the back and forth, which seems ex extra. They say, take it. Avraham says, I don't, want, I don't want to take it. You know, he bows down a couple times. They seems very, everybody seems very over, overly respectful to each other. What is the back and forth? And the mom explains 
that really Avraham is aware that as a foreigner, he says, I'm a Garavitoshav. He has no ability to purchase an ancestral plot, which is what he wants. Sachuzas Kever. And he says, can I, he, he tries to get this from the Bnei Ches, the, the, the population. And they say, you, you are a Nasi. We think you're a good person. However, the law of the land is we cannot do it. We cannot give you your own plot. But they'd rather bury in the Mivchar Kivrenu. Kivaris Meisecha, bury your dead in one of our choicest spots. No one's going to stop you. That's not what Avraham is after. So he says, all right, let's try to make the appeal to the person in charge, Ephraim. And there's a concern, the concern of two possibilities is it that they don't allow outsiders because maybe somebody else should go first, or is it because they don't want to give honor to somebody who is not, I guess, one of the Hittites? So maybe Abraham can have it as a gift, and then if he has it as a gift, you're not worried about who, maybe maybe a local should come first. And Ephron is is prepared to tell him that uh, it is in fact that. We don't allow outsiders to purchase. We don't allow them that honor. Lo Adoni, But then Ephron mentions that I'll give you the land. I'll give you the field that the cave is in. And that explains why there's a question of a cave in a field. And if you have the field, so maybe we will allow you to bury one. You're, you're, you're deceased in the cave. But it has to be sold as the field. Avram says, don't give it to me as a present. If that's how it's going to be, I don't need it as a present. Rather, give it to me as a purchase. And then if I purchased it, I could do with it whatever I want. And if he wants to establish a family burial plot, which is what Maras Machpelah becomes, he's able to do that. And he pays him. And Ephron says, what for? You know, what's the, how much money are you going to give me? It's a small amount. I don't care about small amount. He says, I'll give you a large sum, 400 kasif. And um, he takes it. And Abraham is able to acquire the Yehuzah's kever that he seeks. And this is the first time there's a there's a hold. The Jewish people have a hold in the land of Eretz Yisrael. And that is a beginning of the fulfillment of Hashem's promise to Abraham. And then the next passage in the Parsha is marrying off Yitzchak. And if you read it carefully, and I am not going to claim that I was ever this particular, there are times where Eliezer is referred to as an Ebed, beginning of the Perak. And there are other times, that gets to sort of the middle of the Perak, where he is referred to as an Ish. And then towards the end of the parak, again, it refers to him as an Ebed. I think once Rivka comes with Eliezer. So I did not get an opportunity to check the Rebbeinu B'chaya myself, but this dimensions of Chumash, it says there is a Rebbeinu B'chaya that says, Eliezer is concerned. What if she doesn't want to come with me? Avram says, don't worry. A Malach is going to be sent in front of you. Are we paying close attention to the fact that Avram says there's going to be a Malach sent? We just we know the story. Avram says, "Do not worry, Hashem has taken care of me thus far, and he'll continue so." This is Pasuk Zayin. Yishlach Malach Olufanecha. So, the explanation offered was when Eliezer is in Eved mode, 
he is referred to, in fact, as an Evid. But once he gets to Haran, and he's starting to look for a wife for Yitzchak, he ends up being the beneficiary of the Malach that Avraham sends, and there's a range that Yitzchak comes just that time, Rivka comes at just that time with the sheep and uh, is able to water his camels, and she passes the test that he sets. And then, once Eliezer has finished making the sealing the deal, and Rivka is going to come back with him, he no longer needs the Malach, he no longer is necessarily like working with the Malach. Rather, he's back to his original role as the Evid Avraham. So, if you look at the Parsha carefully, and the the words used, the little nuance that's contained, you see the moving of the pieces to fulfill the promises that Hashem gave Avraham. You see it in the Parsha itself, Avraham's actions with the Bnei Chait, through Eliezer's interactions and the sort of the his his latching on to the Malach, realizing this is the sacred task, so to speak, of, of creating Klal Yisrael. There is one more idea, which perhaps is really an extension of the first thing that I said. I have thought this for a long time, that when uh, Mishnah tells us, Ezehu Ashir, I would have said that the explanation is that a person is happy with his lot, which is to say that the Gemara tells us, everything is in the hands of heaven except our fear of heaven. We cannot control all of our physical characteristics, can't necessarily control how much money we make, but what we always are able to control is our response. And therefore, the Mishnah in Pekiavis is saying, you want to be wealthy, your response is what matters. If you're happy with what has happened, if you're able to accept what has happened and to move forward with it, then you are truly the rich person. The money is not something you can control. It all comes from Hashem. Your physical characteristics, your health, largely are things that come from Hashem. Your reaction is yours. So, somebody tried to show me this this morning. In, in a Sefer on Bitachon, a contemporary Sefer on Bitachon, but as I was reading Rabbi Sachs' final volume on the Parsha, which is called I Believe, presented it in, I would say, more contemporary and perhaps, therefore, more relatable terms. And he Quotes from a account of a Holocaust survivor, Edith Eager, who survived Auschwitz, 1944, and the Death March. She grew up to become a psychotherapist, and at the age of 90 in 2017, she published this book called The Choice. And in this, she makes a distinction between victimization and victimhood. She says that we will all be victimized in some way over the course of our lives. We'll suffer an affliction, calamity, abuse. This is life and this is victimization. It comes from the outside, she says. But she says, what about victimhood? That comes from within. No one can make you a victim but you. We become victims not because of what happens to us, but when we choose to hold on to our victimization. We develop a victim's mind, a way of thinking, 
and being that is rigid, blaming, pessimistic, stuck in the past, unforgiving, punitive, and without healthy limits or boundaries. This is perhaps the final lesson that Avraham teaches us in this week's Parsha, is that he, he could have been a victim. He could have sunk into the victimhood status. His life was filled with at least 10 challenges that, that the Gemara counts, and maybe there are others that aren't counted. Back and forth, existential issues, issues of theological impact with Nimrod and the surrounding people, wars of four kings and five kings, having his wife taken from him twice, years of childlessness just the same, and the unfathomable command to offer his son at long last up as a korban. When all of that is over, comes back, and now he has to, so to speak, you can say, put the pieces together. He doesn't have a place to bury Sarah, and he has no spouse for Yitzchak. But Abraham does not become the victimhood. Right? He takes the fact that he was the victim of difficult events and challenges in his life, challenges that we all gain from tremendously through the Misa of Asim and the Banim. But he doesn't choose even at the end when it could be hard. I've done so much and, and Sarah's gone and, and I don't even have a place to bury her. And my child is not married. And that is not what he does. He moves forward. He pushes for the future. And that is the most important lesson perhaps that we can all take. Is that there are challenges in our lives that we have no control over. They're all from Hashem. And we don't necessarily have the ability to navigate them successfully either. The outcomes are not in our control. But what is in our control is our ability to respond to them and respond to them in a, in a productive, positive, progressive way to move forward. And that is what Avraham teaches through his actions at the end of the Parsha, even if he is Zakein Babi Yomim. And hopefully we can take that lesson from Avraham and go through life and take our challenges in stride and realize that they are tests for us, they challenges us to rise above. And if we can do that, we will truly live more fuller lives and we will help build, in fact, the nation of Hashem and B'nai Israel. Have a lovely Shabbos. Thank you for listening. See you next time.